You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. I also want to shout out the Peacock and Williamson podcast coming to you also every single weekday. Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson breaking down everything you need to know from the national angle, doing a great job over there. Go check that out wherever you find your favorite podcast. As for today, there is a quick hit of national news that I want to talk about that's a little old, but I haven't got a chance to talk about it. And then a couple of story time series entries. It's going to be a nice chill Friday, but let's start by talking about something interesting going on with the NFL Combine. So it was announced on, I think, Wednesday, that uh, the NFL is opening up the 2023 Combine to other cities, and they're going to do a bidding process like with the Super Bowl and like what the draft has kind of become, and the Combine is now going to do that as well, where, you know, this year the Combine in this city, that city, that city. And it points to this kind of intention for the NFL to make the Combine more of a TV event than it is, and it already is a kind of a TV event with a lot of broadcast going on but it has a very quiet feel to it. There, there's a very kind of intimate feel. If you ever kick on that combine uh, workout broadcast, it's got a very intimate feel to it where it does kind of seem like you're watching something behind the scenes instead of this like big produced, uh, you know, showcase like what the draft is. And it seems like they kind of want to turn the combine into a big produced showcase like what the draft is. And that's really interesting. Um, in so far as how it will affect draft processes and draft evaluations and stuff, there is some stuff and we'll talk about it, but I think it's going to affect the perception of the draft a lot because if they are trying to make the combine a more often watched event, then that means, you know, if they're successful at that and more people watch the the combine, that means that combine scores and combine performances are going to drive public perception a lot more than they already do. And they already do plenty. If you are a good player that played fast, you know, if you're Cameron Dantzler and you played fast and you played well and you have really, really good tape and you bomb the combine, that really bombed his draft stock and it you know, kind of took him from, you know, PFF had him as like their number two corner were it not for his weight. And I, I know a lot of people had kind of had Cameron Dantzler as this really highly touted prospect, but weight and slowness kind of turned them off. And it seems like that affected him with NFL teams too, because he went, you know, and I think pick 89, like in the, in the third round. And maybe with a, you know, if, if public perception has any sway on draft strategy, and we all love to pretend that it wouldn't, but I do kind of think that it does somewhat. I think public perception will sort of push people up and down boards a little bit, even if it's by osmosis, by a totally subconscious process, it, it might affect things. It might make the combine that much more important. But I think more tangibly, I mean, that would be a small, maybe not even noticeable effect. But I think more tangibly, the uh, departure from Indianapolis is a much bigger deal because Indianapolis has a 
an infrastructure set up for this, right? And I'm not talking about the stadium, right? Because every team has a stadium. But mainly, there is a hospital in Indianapolis that facilitates a lot of the medical checking and a lot of that process that has staff that have been doing it for years and rooms that they know how to set up. And they're not doing anything for the first time when you go to Indianapolis, when you go to the Combine. All of the trainers and doctors know the the people performing these tests. They know each other. It is a very familiar process to do these medical rechecks, and that means very few logistical snags. If you go to Cleveland for the first time and hold a Combine in Cleveland for the first time, or in LA for the first time, or in New Orleans or New York for the first time, that is going to mean a hospital is facilitating a fairly large logistical challenge for the first time. And that means that process can be slower. That means it can uh, mess up. That means things can be less reliable. A medical recheck happens and a team doctor wasn't there because of some miscommunication here or there. Some organizational snafu is going to mean that teams are going to have a tougher time getting medical information. And that means that prospects like, say, Wyatt Davis who have injury issues that you need to check in on are going to be, or Dalvin Cook, are going to be that much more difficult to figure out. And that probably pushes that sort of player down a draft board. Um, Not necessarily, because of course there can be somebody who does get the medical recheck information, is satisfied with it, and then throws that part out of the evaluation. But I do think that it will affect draft boards some. And I don't know if that's going to be so good a thing, in exchange for, like, a more fun TV event, I guess? Like, it doesn't seem particularly worth it, except for the money-making aspect of it, which we know the NFL is, is here for that first and foremost. Um, but it seems like the Combine might be a less good evaluative event in order to be a more entertaining event, and I don't know if that's the direction things should be going, but it seems like we're already kind of, the the ship has sailed, as it were. I've got a couple of really exciting Storytime series entries to share with you. Uh, But first, let's talk a little bit about Bet Online. There are uh, some new interesting odds for betting on the futures of the uh, Minnesota Vikings and every team. They are uh, ranking in the division odds. So you can bet that the Vikings will rank first in the division. You can get that 12 to 5 which is continuing to lower as it as we get draw closer to the season. Uh, the betting markets are getting higher and higher on the Vikings. So if you want to bet optimistic Vikings things, you might need to get in on it now. Um, they're nine to five to be second in the league or in the in the NFC North. They're seven to four to be third in the NFC North, which is the favorite of those outcomes. Uh, and they are nine to one to be fourth in the NFC North. Nobody thinks that they are going to be worse than the Lions. Uh, The Packers, of course, still betting favorites on the division. That'll probably be true until Aaron Rodgers is seen in a Broncos uniform in official... Uh, in an official capacity. Um, but if you want to bet on any of those things, I, I really like this bet because you don't just have to say, will the Vikings or won't the Vikings uh, win the division? If you think the Vikings will be third in the division and finish behind the Bears, you still can uh, make that wager. You can head on over to betonline.ag. You can set up an account for free. And when you make your first deposit for whatever you're going to bet on this or whatever else, enter promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. That is all one word. And you can get a 50% welcome bonus. That means that if you put in say 200 bucks to gramble with in the beginning you actually get 300 bucks to play with bet online will match half of your money and put the extra in your account that's promo code locked on on your first deposit at betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts 
In the late 1980s, Torin Dorn was a running back slash defensive back who played for UNC, the Tar Heels, and later had a pretty good NFL career, like a seven-year career for the Raiders and then the Rams. And at USC, he played for a coach that you've probably heard of. His name was Mac Brown, mostly uh, did his legacy for Texas, and he had since retired. And when Torin had a son, Miles Dorn, football was a pretty natural choice. He played wide receiver in high school and also defensive back, and uh, he was a really high recruit, had a good pedigree, had, you know, a good support system, um, and his recruiting process was kind of wild. So UNC was the first school to offer him. His dad's school was the first school to offer him, um, but they he, he kind of molded over and he took that offer under consideration, but he kept his recruitment open, and NC State and Clemson hard sold him. Um, some other schools got in the mix, but NC State, he says, was the, uh, Miles says, was the school that sold him the hardest, and Clemson actually sent his future teammate, Mackenzie Alexander, to uh, go try to hard sell him on Clemson. But the familial connection and I think just getting there first put UNC in a really good uh, position. Miles Dorn chooses USC and they commit him to defensive back. Miles um, Dorn played, of course, you know, both sides. He's going to be a defensive back now. And he plays as a true freshman in all 13 games. In 2016, which was a fantastic year for for UNC, they uh, didn't win the ACC championship because Clemson exists, but uh, and they, that was the Deshaun Watson Clemson year. But it was a really good UNC year, as all things are considered. It was Mitch Trubisky's senior year as well, um, and it set very high expectations for 2017. Even though Trubisky was heading off to the NFL, they had this new quarterback that everybody was really excited about. This run around, read option, hyper athletic dude by the name of Chaz Surratt, and I'm sure because we aren't talking about Chaz Surratt is a quarterback prospect. We know how this went. 2017 was an extremely disappointing year for UNC. They won like three games, um, and that whole deal is a story for another day with Chaz. But uh, that was very disappointing for a team that seemed to have really, really high expectations. And 2018 was also a disappointing year. That was Chaz's second year as quarterback. And, uh, you know, the whole team just kind of didn't come together. It was getting younger. They were supposed to have all these seniors returning. All those seniors graduated after 2017 was a flop. And now 2018 is kind of a flop and a disappointing year. But Dorn himself, Miles Dorn himself, during all this time, was kind of hidden on a struggling team. He was playing very well. He had to play through a couple of injuries in 2018. So he was kind of up and down, but he still felt like it was a pretty good year. Um, And in that year, through playing through injury and all the pain and the rehab and the kind of extra work that that goes with, both of his grandparents pass away or both of his grandfathers pass away. And that kind of gets you thinking about like what you stand for when you are playing through injury and you're you're going through hardship and you're, you're, you know, there's loss and you're dealing with a lot of things. um, You kind of learn what means the most to you. And that is when Miles Dorn was thinking about maybe going to a different program. He was thinking maybe he could transfer somewhere where he could be highlighted a little better, maybe even go out for the draft and hope that he, he you know, is just noticed as a guy playing well on UNC. But that knee injury that had kind of uh, slowed him down through 2018 wasn't going away. It was lingering. And he actually ended up having to have two surgeries on it, and that pretty much tanked any chance he had in the transfer portal or in the draft. He would have had to like miss his whole pre-draft process and all that stuff. So wet blanket on all that next chapter talk. 
Um, and this is where his dad, Torin, really gives him some perspective. Torindorn's UNC Tar Heels were some awful teams. The late 80s UNC were like 1 in 10 twice. He was a good player on them, and he stayed the course. He stuck it out, and he made enough of a name for himself where he ended up getting a, a chance in the NFL. Plus, in 2019... His dad's old coach was returning to UNC, so he would actually get to play for Mac Brown just like his dad did, and he that kind of helps make the decision for him, but really, he calls that knee injury a blessing in disguise, and, and he's really a lot about blessings in disguise. He talks about blessings in disguise at a lot of turns in his career, and this is one of them where he says, you know, that kept me from doing something maybe stupid, and I get to come back, try again, and try to be a part of a good uh, UNC team. You know, he's the old guy. He's the leadership figure now. And he buys into what Mac Brown is bringing to a struggling UNC program. And he helps everybody around him buy in. And he kind of leads that charge. So 2019 went pretty well, and it was time to go for the draft. But this was the 2020 draft. And that means this was the 2020 draft process. So he didn't get a combine invite. And, of course, he didn't get a pro day because they were all canceled thanks to COVID-19. So he didn't get a chance to run. He had no measurables out there, and that means he had, like, no draft stock at all because he was on a, a, an easy-to-miss team, and his athleticism that kind of got him to this point didn't have the numbers next to it, so he didn't show up on anybody's radar really that well at all. He thought maybe there was a chance he could go in the late kind of day three, but he doesn't, and he's he's pretty uh, bummed about that, but again, blessing in disguise. He kind of looks at it as, well, now I get to choose where I go. You know, if you get picked 253rd, you're going to that team no matter what. And you kind of have the same chance of making the team as an undrafted guy. You know, most teams by that point in the draft are just trying to get a head start on guys they were going to bid on as undrafted free agents. But those guys don't get any of the choice. So actually, a lot of players, once you get to about halfway through the seventh round, maybe in the sixth round, um, you know, those a lot of players will kind of go, ah, maybe don't draft me. I kind of want to, you know, make my choice, pick my city. Um, so he ends up going to the Vikings as a 2020 undrafted free agent. And um, he's a long shot to make the roster, of course, but not a zero uh, chance kind of guy. Because if you remember, that safety group looked a lot like this safety group, where you had two kind of entrenched starters, and behind them was kind of unclear who was going to play safety at all in the event that somebody got hurt. And uh, so there was this huge depth issue, and where there is a depth issue, there is an opportunity for an undrafted guy like Miles Dorn. So he works his butt off, and on the last day of practice before camp cuts, he gets another, we'll call it a blessing in disguise. Somebody steps on his toe during a play, and he breaks his big toe, and he has to go on IR. And from what it sounds like, he was probably going to get cut for the 2020 season, and that could have been it, but now he gets another chance to be, you know, a year older, a year wiser, a year of, of practice and mental reps under his belt to go take another crack at it. And assuming health and all that stuff is good, Miles Dorn gets to try again. So we're going to talk about a story that is kind of near and dear to my heart next. It covers themes of abuse, and if you are particularly sensitive to that, um, that is the last topic of the show. So if you don't maybe want to listen to that and you want to skip that one, I don't blame you. Uh, and you can turn this one off now and miss out on that, and you won't miss out on anything else. And I'll see you next week. Uh, no, no hard feelings. Um, but for the rest of you, we're going to talk about Bashad Breland and his journey to the NFL and what football means to him. But first, let's talk a little bit about your car. 
searching for car parts if you need them can be an absolute nightmare. What's compatible with your car? Uh, you know, what is the right part? Do I need it? What, who are the good manufacturers? All that stuff. Rock Auto has you covered. Just enter your make your year and model at rockauto.com and they will sort through all of that, do all the research for you and present you options that work for you and your car specifically. Every car is a unique and special snowflake that needs all its own different kinds of parts and recommendations and stuff. And with Rock Auto, you're saving a buck because it, it links directly to the manufacturers. It's just an aggregator that helps you choose between car part producers instead of like a brick and mortar auto shop that is a retail joint with overhead that's going to upsell you as a retail customer rock auto doesn't do that it's a family business they've been doing this for years and years and years and they're looking out for you so head on over to rockauto.com and at checkout there's a how you heard about us section let them know there that locked on sent you because if you don't the rabbits will in fact launch you specifically into orbit of the earth rock auto amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need let's also talk about the best tasting protein bar on the planet it's built bar it comes in nine delicious flavors all covered in 100 chocolate like chocolate raspberry peanut butter brownie mint brownie all sorts of classic flavor combinations and even some specialty combinations if you keep an eye on the website on builtbar.com sometimes they do promos and some specialty flavors that are limited time only the, the kicker about it is they are delicious they taste like a candy bar but they're low sugar they're low calorie low carb they're high in protein they're high in fiber it's a protein bar it's even keto friendly if you're doing the keto thing so head on over to builtbar.com get yourself a treat that's not a cheat you like how i did that and enter promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, you get 15% off of your next order. That is at BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15, all one word, for 15% off of your next order. BuiltBar.com. Allendale, South Carolina is not a prime area of the United States. Medium income is about $16,000, crime is rampant, and there's a lot of towns like that in the rural south. And living in a town like that was not the only problem facing a young Bashad Breland. Breland's dad was not in the picture. His mom, Tanya Jordan, raised him as a single mother until a stepdad entered the picture, and this stepdad was not a positive influence. He was abusive toward Bashad Breland's mom, but he had means, and that meant that his mom was stuck in the terrible position of choosing between enduring abuse and not being able to provide for her kids because this was really the only way she knew in a, a poor town like this that her kids would be cared for. And so she chose her kids. Now, Bashad Breland says all the time in a lot of interviews that he's a product of his environment. And this is a huge part of it. This dynamic of the lack of money kind of indirectly causing suffering, having to make decisions that make you suffer because you don't have enough money. But there were a lot of people in Breland's life that offered support at one time or another. And one of those people early in his life was his uncle, Randall Bradley. And he and Bradley were close. They hung out. He protected Breland. He was there for him. Says uh, He says his time with his uncle was like the joyous days of his life. Um, there's even one story where a young Bishop Breland had an earache. And uh, Bradley went to the club where his uh, stepdad was, took him by the lapel and said, you got to take this kid to the doctor. Thanks to all of this, Bashad Breland was a very, very angry kid. He was frustrated and angry all the time, and he had a, a lot pent up as a young boy with problems, very angry. And so his mom urged him to go to football. There is an outlet for your anger. You want to hit stuff? Put on pads and let's go hit stuff. And he took to it pretty quickly, and it was pretty clear that he was going to be pretty good at this. His uh, freshman year of high school, his uncle Randall Bradley passes away, and again, he's angry. The world isn't joyful, and so he's in joyful back to the world. 
Um, his high school coach, his name was Wayne Farmer, kind of took the kid under his wing. He helped out where he could financially, took him to football camps, and kind of convinced a young Bashad Breland that like, hey, if you put your nose down, and if you really take this seriously, you have a chance to get a college scholarship. This could kind of be your ticket out of Allendale. And again, product of his environment, a lot of the stuff he does today, like turkey drives and stuff, really comes from this idea that a lot of people in impoverished areas think that they really aren't allowed to leave those impoverished areas, or if they try to, that they will fail and end up back, and they feel very trapped. And this kind of gave him a way out of that trap. So at 16, uh, his mom finally files for divorce and took the family to Columbia, South Carolina, but Bashad wanted to stay in Allendale and finish his school there uh, with Wayne Farmer and with all the friends and the kind of support system that he knew. And that left him only one option because his mom wasn't staying. And his only option was to reach out to biological dad. I can't imagine how hard that must have been. All the pain and where was dad all that time. And he was angry. He was frustrated with that as much as he was frustrated with the stepdad, as much as he was frustrated with, with life itself. And he had to kind of find it in his heart to not only forgive that, but to reach out and say, let's build a relationship. That just speaks to me. I don't know. It's just such a big, strong thing to do. It's so easy to be angry. It's so much harder to choose not to be. Impossible for some people to choose not to be angry. It just leaves such an impression on me that at 16, he was able to 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 do that to rise to that emotional challenge and so for his last couple of years of high school he uh stayed with his father and when it came time to do recruiting he was like a three-star recruit top 10 player in the state he was fantastic at actual football and he got a call from clemson and some other schools but clemson close to home power five school no-brainer goes to clemson and he was having a pretty good career there at Clemson. It got him the scholarship, and it was kind of his ticket out of Allendale. He was able to build his own life. Uh, his junior year, he gets some big news. The girl he's seen is pregnant, and now he's going to be a dad. And that's scary as hell. Uh, you know, when you have bad male role models in your life, and now suddenly you have to be a dad, The one of the first thoughts has to be, Am I going to be better than that guy? Am I going to be able to be better than that guy? And it's such a scary thing. Plus, he's doing college football. He's thinking about maybe the NFL. But it kind of kicks him into a new gear. Because while Clemson was an avenue to a scholarship and an avenue out of Allendale, South Carolina, and out of the life that comes with Allendale, South Carolina, suddenly the picture got a little bigger and the dream got a little bigger. And so having his little girl kind of motivated him to want to really make the NFL and make NFL money and be able to give his daughter the life and the comfort and the security that he couldn't have and to be a positive male role model in her life as well. So his mom, the kid's mom, a whole bunch of other people in Breland's life step in to support. And it's this is really like a takes, uh, it, it takes a village moment. So he can focus on football and getting himself to the NFL with the ultimate goal of making NFL money and providing for his daughter in a way that kind of only uh, NFL money can. Um, and he's just blown away by the support. And he has so many heroes now because of everybody that helped him. Um, so he 
gets drafted. He goes to Washington uh, later in the draft than he wanted, pick 102, and he kind of feels like he should have gone higher, and he even talks about kind of wearing that as a badge of honor. He even talked about he shared, Kirk Cousins was pick 102 as well, and they played together in Washington, and they kind of bonded over being pick 102, and now they're back together, which is kind of cute. Uh, but he does have a fantastic start to his career. By the end of his rookie year, he's starting. He's playing every snap. Um, and meanwhile, over in Carolina with the Panthers, Josh Norman is having the bitter divorce with the Panthers you probably remember, and Washington jumps on it the next offseason after drafting Breland, and it pushes Breland down the depth chart. He was excited to be the number one, now he's the number two, and he lets that kind of feeling of sl being slighted really uh, put another fire on under him. So he played out his rookie deal, and he played very well in Washington on his rookie deal. And in 2018, he becomes a free agent, and uh, ironically enough, signs an $8 million a year deal for three years. $24 million deal with the Panthers. This is it. This is the money he was going for. Uh, but right before free agency, while he was negotiating his deal, he was dealing with this, um, he had an accident. So he was on vacation in the Dominican Republic, and a golf cart, of all things, uh, he gets into a golf cart accident of some sort. He ends up getting a cut on his foot and he needs a skin graft for it. So he gets injured pretty bad. And that skin graft gets infected. And it's a minor enough infection. There's no lasting complications or anything, but it kind of lingers. And so when he signs with Carolina and he goes to take the physical, he fails the physical and the deal doesn't go through. So he doesn't see a dime of that $8 million. Everything gets voided. And he goes back on the market a few days later. He's only a Carolina Panther for like uh, three days. And that's after the flurry because he signed in the free agency flurry. The last couple off seasons have been weird, but it, the way it normally works in a normal non-COVID world is that a lot of the free agents are pretty much off the market by the end of the first like week, and everything else is kind of picking up the scraps and pieces, and most rosters are mostly constructed. So he actually doesn't get signed at all. Um, after failing a physical, teams don't want to look into him. If they need a corner, they're going to get somebody where they don't have to deal with like an injury, whatever the hell that is, um, and his foot heals but he's unable to sign anywhere until the middle of the season. The Green Bay Packers lose a couple of corners in their 2018 year, um, and he ends up signing a one-year deal for like 790k, basically rookie deal money again. And it's not insignificant money. He can provide for his kid and stuff, but this isn't the NFL career money that he's going to be able to kind of make sure his kid goes to college and provide all those things he wanted to provide. At any rate, he plays out the rest of that year in Green Bay, and it wasn't a great Packers season, um, but it was enough, it was good enough for him to finally get that lucrative deal. One year, $5 million with Kansas City in 2019, and the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs is a good place to be because they win the Super Bowl, and he gets uh, one of the like key interceptions in that Super Bowl, living the dream, making millions, doing exactly what he wanted. And that is, I think, where you kind of have to take a, a step back. You've climbed the mountain, and now you get to look at the view. That's Bashad Breland's career, fighting and slogging through hardship after hardship and, and you know curveball after curveball and getting to that point. And that's the goal. And now you want to win one again, right? The goals don't end or anything like that. So he re-signs. Um, but in April of 2020, he gets in a little trouble, gets caught with a couple friends, some weed, alcohol in a car. He tries to run, so he gets resisting arrest. All misdemeanors, but it was enough to get him a four-game suspension. Um, but still, in 2020, he plays with the Chiefs again in another Super Bowl in the magical COVID season. And this offseason, he signs here in Minnesota. Um, there's some weird vibes about his exit from Kansas City. Fans are like trying to figure out why he left. To my eye, it just looks like the Vikings offered more. It doesn't look like there's anything weird going on there, um, but it's hard to know. Um, and at any rate, he has had this like winding journey that ends here that has been buoyed by consistent football play and how football really was the rock on which he could lean through all of this stuff. 
But just looking at this story and the man that Bashad Breland is, he's one of, I guess, a lot of people doing this series that I just come away from it looking at him as just a good man. And to some degree, that's more important than anything he'll ever do on the football field. So I will see you all next week. Uh, we'll talk about whatever goes on over the weekend or whatever. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter. Luke Braun NFL shows on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Make sure you check out the Locked On Today podcast with Peter Bukowski. He's covering all the 32 NFL teams right now in a little bit of a series. Uh, NBA, NHL playoffs, all that stuff going on. Everything in the wide world of sports under 20 minutes every morning, wherever you find your favorite podcast. So you can check all of that out. I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.